This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to James chapter 4, verse number 15. And uh, I want to read this one verse because this is where we are in James. And uh, this launches us into a study that most people are not familiar with. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that everyone watching or here in person tonight, you, you know what the word fast means generically. Uh, I'm convinced of that. But I don't believe that the average person who is here or watching knows the significant difference and the various types of fast that there are. And this, is, uh, this has been really intriguing to me on Wednesday nights as we will use this platform as a teaching opportunity. This is not a pre, this is not evangelistic sermon. And I'm sure you nobody be running out turning cartwheels tonight. I, I promise you that. But at the same time, you're going to be learning something that you very rarely were here taught. In fact, I have not taught this particular uh, presentation in over 20 years. And so I'm convinced that uh, if you are really seriously interested in studying the word, this is a good season for you to be partaking of what we are doing at this particular time. So I want you to look at verse number 15. Let's go to the word of God. The Bible says for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So important to put God's will above everything. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And so that I believe that. In fact, there are several scriptures that I routinely, daily quote uh, to keep myself fresh with scripture, keep my mind sharp in retaining the word, but also I believe in the powerful message that some of these verses contain. And let me ask you, do you have, do you have selective verses of scripture that you quote every day? If you don't, let me encourage you to incorporate that into your day, whether it's morning, noon, or night. But it keeps you sharp on getting the scriptures right, keeping it in context. You'd be surprised how significantly important it is to get the words right because you, you could take something out of context uh, by, by not getting the verse right. Now, if you're just with your own personal self and you're quoting a scripture, you may get it wrong. You, you, you're not doing, I don't believe, an injustice to you or, and certainly not to anybody else. But learn how to quote it right. Maybe you have a life's verse. Do you have a verse of scripture that you claim as your personal life's verse that you have used in multiple ways through 
a variety of circumstances through the years. And uh, you quote it, it's like, it's like sweet honeycomb. My particular verse of scripture is Psalms 37, verses 3 through 5. And I quote it often. I have claimed that to be my life's verse since I was a child. So if you don't have a life's verse, I would encourage you to pick something in the scripture that is just very, very special to you, something that you're very fond of. Claim it as your life's verse, quote it often, if not every day. But my day starts in praise. Before I get out of the bed in the morning, I am praising God. I praise God for for this. Thank you, God. I praise you for bringing me, my family, safely through the night. Have you ever stopped to consider that you could choke to death in the middle of the night? Don't take a day for granted. I, I know people who have died in their sleep. Maybe you do. Don't take a breath for granted. I thank God for this. And then I thank God, I praise him before I get out of the bed in the morning, before my feet hit the floor. I thank God for extending, because I haven't been awoken at two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning saying, come quick to your father's house. An ambulance has taken him or your mother to the hospital. I thank God every single morning before my feet hit the floor that God has been so merciful and graceful to my mother and father that he's allowed them to see the sunrise one more time. I take time when I get out of the bed to have a personal prayer time. I go through a praise time and a prayer time. Praise is not prayer. Prayer is not praise. You can, however, do both, incorporate it, but I make sure there's a distinct difference. Once I go through a period of praise, I go through a period of prayer where I'm quoting a couple of scriptures every single morning where I'm giving total reverence to God and uh, some of those occasions, I will quote my life's verse, but without failure. I pray and incorporate two particular passages, and one of which is Matthew 6.33, Seek you first the kingdom of God. And my day starts in prayer. Uh, Father, today, I'm going to do my very best to put everything else secondary and put you number one. Help me, Lord, to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness today because I do believe all these other things will be added if I do that. Secondly, I pray the prayer of prosperity. And scripture says this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, they shall prosper that love thee. So I'll spend some time not only in praise, that's the first part of my awakening moments, then I'll spend time in prayer and I will quote these various scriptures. Then I'll have another personal prayer time before my morning preparation is over. And so if you don't have a special verse that you claim as, a, as your life's verse, I, I encourage you to do it. And, and regularly, routinely do that. When I read this verse of scripture for ye that ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. 
Don't take one day for granted. We all are familiar, I believe, to a certain degree with the scripture in Proverbs. It says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And that's a verse that I routinely refer to because the number one thing in our life that we need to remember often and rehearse ourselves with is that we are all one breath away from eternity. One heartbeat that would stop. So remember this, don't take any day for granted. Use every day for God's glory. Prioritize him above everything else. And so it's very easy to see how you can put God's will above everything else. When you, when you read a verse of scripture like this, get in a habit of practicing, God, if this is your will, the Lord willing, this is what I will say. The Lord willing, this is what I will do. And ask God to lead you in his will. Okay, that's an introduction tonight to where we are in James 4, verse number 15. So we're talking about in this aspect of seeking God's will, knowing what God would have for each one of us because he does have, I believe, a divine purpose for all of us. None of us are on this planet by accident. We're all here for a reason. We have been wonderfully, beautifully created and made, conceived and given life and breath, created in the image of God for a purpose. And so I encourage you to find the purpose and plan of God for you, for your life. We've talked about the variety of ways to go about seeking that. And I'm not going to rehearse all of the fundamental, what what I would consider to be very simplistic ways, but talking about this thing of fasting, we don't know all there is to know about it. We don't study it enough. We're not familiar with it. If you think that it's just to deprive yourself of food and water, you you are missing this by a country mile. So I I want to give this for you very quickly, a, a rehearsal of what we talked about last Wednesday night. We talked about nine specific things that fasting in general will do. I'm going to read them very quickly off to you. And if you've missed one, you can write it down. You can catch up tonight. But this is coming out of the book of Isaiah. And uh, I want you to, if, you've, if you're taking notes, if you're writing these things down, and I have given you some nine references here, and uh, I want to make sure that you get this, all, all nine of them. In Isaiah chapter 58, and uh, you, you'll find these, especially in uh, beginning in verse number six. But there are, there are nine specific things that will come out of fasting. Number one, to loose the band of wickedness. Do you know someone that's in spiritual, the spiritual bondage of addiction? Okay. Um, number two, to undo heavy burdens. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, somebody, I, I know many people tonight that are living under the extreme of heavy burdens, extreme burdens. 
Number three, you will find that the result of fasting is that the word of God promises to let the oppressed go free. Do you know there's a big difference between, for example, if I were to tell you this, uh, no Christian can be demon-possessed, but every Christian can be demon-oppressed. It's very important. And so there is a particular fast uh, for to be set free, the oppressed to be set free. Number four, to break every yoke. Number five, we find a wonderful result to give bread to the hungry and to provide the poor with housing and necessities. Number six, to allow the light of people to bring forth like the morning. Number seven, to cause our health to spring forward. And we're going to be talking about the fast of healing tonight. So those of you that are watching, if you are experiencing some type of sickness, and I'm going to clarify this because this is not for everybody. You may be sick, but this fast may not be for you, and there are reasons for that. Number eight, that he would cause their righteousness to go forth before them. And then number nine at the latter part of Isaiah chapter 58 in verse number eight, that he would cause the glory of the Lord to be their reward. So God has promised to do some pretty incredible things through fasting. And again, I'm convinced that though you are familiar with this word fast and you might consider it to be a theological word, a profound word, you, you have heard the word, a familiar word, but listen very carefully. Fasting is a spiritual and a physical exercise of discipline that directs our total attention to God. You have to get that. And, and I would also reiterate that fasting is a, not only is it a personal matter, it's a private matter. And I want to give you the scripture for that. I hope you're taking good notes. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 16 through 18, because here's the thing. I, I have met people in my lifetime that have come across with the idea to make other people think that they are so spiritually endowed, that they are God's gift to spirituality. Have you ever known someone, maybe you haven't, I, I've met people in, in all kinds of categories. Maybe you know somebody that has come up to you and said something like this, hey, I'm fasting. That's not how you get through. Scripture for that is this. Matthew 6, 16 through 18, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So if, if you want, oh my goodness, man, you're spiritual. Wow, God bless you. Some people seek that, and if that's what they seek, that's their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face. 
that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So let me say this. There, there are three aspects of fasting, three basic types of fast. Number one is what we call the normal fast. And that is going without food or water for a very specific amount of time, very short amount of time. Now, I think because we're talking about the first fast is talking about a fast of healing, I need to emphasize that you should not do this if you are not physically well to engage with it. You you shouldn't fast this particular fast if you are a diabetic, if you have heart complications. You you have to go through a checklist because God requires us to use good discernment. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. So don't be foolish about this. I cannot emphasize that enough. But in in the aspect of fasting, and fasting is for spiritual breakthroughs. Number one, it's it's what we call the normal fast, and that's going without food or water for a very limited, specific amount of time. In fact, I want you to see this. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says this, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted by the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. Now, you cannot do this. I cannot do it. You cannot do it. We would be foolish to try it. You would end up in an ambulance, and somebody be giving you intravenous solutions. Don't do that. Well, I want to be like Jesus. Well, I assure you that none of us will ever be this capable of being like Jesus. Don't fast for 40 days. Well, what if the Holy Spirit told me to do it? Then you do it. And if the Holy Spirit told you to do it, I doubt very seriously you would end up in an ambulance. But I'm telling you, this is 40 days is not our fast. He did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And so this particular fast, you you have to, if you're determined that you're going to go on this fast, what we call the normal fast, then you, you pick a determined amount of time. If you've never fasted, don't say you're going on a 72-hour fast. My recommendation is this. If you've never fasted, then maybe your fast is this for this particular one. You wake up in the morning and uh, you take your medicine, whatever it is you have to take. You don't deprive yourself of that. And then fast from 6 o'clock to lunchtime, then eat at 1 o'clock. You say, well, that's ridiculous, three or four hours. Hey, try that. Try it. So, I mean, if you're determined to do this kind of fast... And I would say on this particular fast, you only use water or unsweetened fruit juice. Unsweetened, that's important. 
Now, the second type of this particular kind of fast is what we call the absolute fast. And this is where you have no food and no water whatsoever for the prescribed limited amount of time that you choose. In fact, let me show you this passage of scripture in Acts chapter 9, verse number 9. Acts 9, 9, the Bible says, and he was three days, three days, 72 hours without sight and neither did eat nor drink. Okay, so that was the absolute fast. That's a 72-hour fast. Most of us in here tonight are on medication of some sort. You'll choke to death if you swallow your pills without something to wash it down with. Don't be foolish about this. There is an Old Testament scripture for this as well. It goes all the way back to the book of Ezra. You want to read, you want to really get a good Bible study in, you go to the book of Ezra. But listen to this. In Ezra chapter 10, verse number six, then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elzebeth. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. Ezra entered into what is called the absolute fast. Then lastly, as we're breaking this down into three different categories, is what we call the partial fast. And that is when your diet is greatly restricted. And the foundation for this particular fast is located in Daniel, the book of Daniel chapter 1. And I want to give you these scriptures in verse number 11 through 15. The Bible says, Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Hazara, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, look at this, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. And in Daniel chapter 10, verse number two and three, the Bible says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Daniel said, I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, I assure you, you, you do not want to begin your first fast by saying to yourself, I'm going to go three weeks just like Brother Daniel. Don't do it. Fa fasting, listen carefully now. Fasting is designed to take us from any kind of physical pleasure. So remember that. Fasting, we have to totally deny ourselves when we are seeking the face of God. 
And so fasting, by the way, is not a new thing. It's very common in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, I'm going to give you the breakdown in the time we have left for tonight. Very, very common. In fact, the scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse number 9, Moses fasted for the sins on behalf of the sins of Israel. In verse number 9, the Bible says, Deuteronomy 9, 9, When I was going up in the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. I did neither eat bread nor drink water. Moses fasted for 40 days. Jesus fasted for 40 days, but you and I cannot do that. Be clear with that. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse number 18, and I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins, which he sinned and doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And then in verse number 10, Deuteronomy 10, 10, and I stayed in the mount according to the first time, 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also, and the Lord would not destroy thee. So Moses fasted for 40 days on behalf of the people of Israel because of their iniquity. Now, David fasted when he was mourning the death of King Saul. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, and they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. Are you getting this? I hope you're writing it down. You're staying with me now. Then there is what is called the Ezra fast. And I've given you, I think, already the scripture, but let me read this again for you in Ezra chapter 10, verse, uh, verses 16 through 17. But uh, let me begin with, uh, or verse 6 through 17. Let me just give you the short of this in through verse number 6. Then Ezra rose up before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elshabeth. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. Then there is what is called the Nehemiah fast. And in the book of Nehemiah chapter one, verse four, and you have to remember this, Nehemiah fasted over the broken walls of Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter one, verse number four, the Bible says, and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. These are some of the most significant fasts of the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, the word of God says that Anna fasted for the redemption of Jerusalem and crying out, praying for the coming of the Messiah. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 37, and she was a widow of about fourscore and forty or four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings, and prayers night and day. Okay, we and I read to you earlier about the fast that Jesus had before uh, the beginning of his earthly ministry. Then there was 
what was called the Disciples' Fast, the disciples of John the Baptist. Let me clarify that. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 and 15, the Bible says, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft? But thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall you fast. Then there was the elders in Antioch. They fasted before sending out Paul and Barnabas. And the scripture says this in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse number one through five. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Serene and man which had been brought up with Herod the Tetarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And then in Acts chapter 10 and verse number 30, we find how Cornelius fasted for four days. The word says, and Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And so I think you get the idea recorded in the Old Testament and the New Testament, several and several other experiences are recorded with great fasting as well. Here's the thing. Your decision, this is paramount, your decision to fast should be motivated by the Holy Spirit. It, it, would, it would not benefit anybody in here tonight to take this on as a spiritual exercise because the pastor's preaching or teaching on fasting. But because he's doing that, I'm going to do it. Listen, the, this is a personal and private matter, and we have to make sure that the one who is motivating us to do this is not Pastor Tony, but it's the Holy Spirit. And so if you are really thinking about, well, this is something that I would really like to do, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will make it clear to me, am I a candidate to fast? Should I fast? Then let me encourage you to do this before you do it. If, I mean, if you're really willing to take this and you're really wanting to take this to another level in your, in your spiritual life, then I would, if you have any questions or concerns about this, my practical advice would be to make sure you're consulting with your physician, with your doctor, Am I physically able to do this? Now, let me share this with you before we get to a closing point tonight, and we're just about there. Keep this in mind, because there are different types of fasts, and we're going to be talking about this first one, a physical healing. We won't have time to get into the meat of that tonight. But fasting does not manipulate God. Are you with me? Fasting does not manipulate God. But in some cases of scripture, he has changed his mind or direction, I should say. When fasting was a sincere desire for God to intervene. That's significant. And so, 
Next Wednesday night, Lord willing, we're going to be talking about the Daniel fast. And the Daniel fast was specifically designed for physical healing. So I realize tonight that I'm talking to several people tonight that you have some kind of infirmity that you would like God to act upon, you would like God to intervene with. There are many people watching tonight who you're sitting at home right now and you're saying, this is me, I want this. You you have to stick with the entire theme and and the entire teaching here. You've got to be a candidate for it. You just can't close your eyes and run and jump off a cliff. Fasting is not a lucky rabbit's foot. It's not designed to manipulate God. But there have been significant breakthroughs with physical infirmities because of the Daniel fast. And this is designed to work where there is a physical need for physical healing. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.